This is Shack Talk, presented by Eskimo Ice Fishing Gear and hosted by Kyle Agri and Anthony Kleinwachter. Turn up your speakers, grab your gear, and hit the ice with us as we talk ice fishing. Come on in, grab a bucket. We are talking ice fishing. This is Shack Talk Podcast, brought to you by Eskimo Ice Fishing Gear. Kyle Agri here with Anthony Kleinwachter. And, you know, we're getting at that point in the season, Anthony, where... The days are getting a little bit longer. The, the time on the ice is getting a little more pleasant in terms of our weather and our environment. Um, we're, we're tickling the late season in terms of ice ice goes. And uh, one of the things that I love to do when, when spring starts to show its face is is get out and, and do that ice fishing, but bring it home. And, you know, there's a few different uh, species of fish that you can actually throw out on the smoker. And... Uh, we talked about some different recipes. We talked about some different ways of cooking and preparing fish out on the ice and after you bring it home. And um, I want to talk a little about grilling and smoking fish. Do you do much of that, Anthony? A little bit here and there. It's one of those things where you kind of almost got to target the right species. It's not like I'm going to throw that nice walleye fillet on the smoker. I, I do grill a lot of fish. I found that to be a lot of fun and a good alternative. But uh, smoking, you got to get after those, you know, white fish, tulabies, and those nice greasy fish and make use of some of those maybe rough fish. Well, I tell you what, we've got an expert on here with us today. Uh, I want to welcome Jesse Brunswick. Jesse uh, works for Signature Landscapes in Fargo, North Dakota. That is just part of his expertise. Uh, if you need any landscaping done, he's the guy. But what we really want to tap into today is uh, he is also, a, a, in my mind, a grill master. And, and I mean, he, he knows his stuff. Uh, pellet grills, charcoal grills, all sorts of grills and smokers. So uh, we're going we're gonna to get his intake on, on uh, his input on how to smoke, how to grill some fish. Jesse, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me today, guys. It is, as I said, it's this time of the year when, when we start thinking about getting, some of us grill all year round. I got to imagine you do, Jesse, you're, you're a year round griller, but for some of us, uh, you know, it, it's the spring that really gets us enthusiastic and fired up again. Oh yeah. I grill year round. There isn't a week or there's hardly a day. I'm not firing up a grill at some point, whether it's at work at home or I was on vacation this last weekend and made beef ribs on a grill. So yeah, it's, it's just in my blood, I guess you could say. Boy, beef ribs sound absolutely delicious right now, but uh, but we'll skip over that. Let's uh, let's talk fishing, and you know, Anthony mentioned a little bit about some of the different species. What are your favorites, Jesse? If we got folks listening to the podcast, um, what can they target and think about bringing home, putting on the grill or the smoker, um, or if they have already caught some in the freezer, what are some of the things that they might consider? Well, when it comes to smoking, honestly, I think mine is probably going to be salmon um, or lake trout. They're just absolutely wonderful smoked. Um, you know, they're a little bit tougher to find around where we're at in North Dakota and some of the parts of Minnesota that we fish. But um, for grilling fish, oh, walleye or pike on the grill is absolutely amazing. You know, do it a little bit different than you would if you're doing it in the oven or, or fry it. But um, I absolutely love walleye grilled. That does sound pretty darn good. So, Jesse, just give us a little brief uh, 101 tutorial here. We're talking about grilling. We're talking about smoking. You mentioned fish in two different categories there. Some are better in, in, in one really method of preparation. Some are better in, uh, in others. What, is, what really is the difference between grilling and smoking as, as we look at it technically? Well, grilling fish... Um you're going to do it over a little bit higher heat. Um, generally you're not going to put a lot of smoke on it. You're not going to get a lot of smoke flavor. Uh, for instance, if you're doing walleye, I like to try to keep one or try to keep the skin on it. Um, marinate it, let it sit for about an hour or so, maybe 30 minutes is all throw it on a cedar plank that you soak in some water, throw it on your grill at 350. takes about 10 to 15 minutes to cook about to 145, 150 ish. And it, it's, it's perfect. It flakes right off. Um, you know, if you're doing, if you're doing, uh, salmon or trout and you're going to smoke it, you know, the biggest thing is picking what kind of wood you want to use. Um, woods that have a sweeter smoke aroma, like apple, cherry, pecan, peach, maple, those are going to be, in my opinion, the better woods opposed to oak or mesquite. Those woods are going to give you a little bit more of a harsh flavor and fish is such a delicate meat. You can really overpower it. Um, the next thing you want to do when you're 
smoking is you want to brine it and you're going to want to brine it for 12 hours. And there's simple brine recipes where it's salt, um, brown sugar, and maybe a little bit of seasoning. Otherwise you can get pretty elaborate and you can use just about any kind of herb or seasoning that you'd like. Um, you know, and with that, you want to keep your grill low or your smoker low. Um, with the green mountains, the nice thing that we have with those is it'll go down to 150. So 150 to 165 is kind of where I like to keep my grill when I'm smoking fish. Um, and then, you know, like the trouts or the salmons after about an hour, I take, um, real maple syrup, not on Jemima's or the stuff that you buy in the store, mix it with a little bit of water and I glaze it once an hour. Uh, you could glaze a little bit more, um, if you wanted to, but once that, once that really starts to setting, gives it a great sweetness to it. Um, and then once your fish hits 145, that's when I like to pull it off. When you're preparing those fish for the brine, I know a lot of people are, you know, leave the, do you leave the skin on, do you leave the fish whole, do you take the rib bones out? How do you like to, to keep your fish prepared when you're brining it and then getting it ready for the smoker? Um, obviously trout, um, if it's a bigger trout, um, fillet it or you leave the skin on one side. Um, if it's a smaller trout and same with, you know, a salmon, a bigger salmon, um, leave the skin on one side and then smaller trout, um, we do those whole. Uh, just gut it, leave it all intact for the most part. And then we don't, I, a lot of times I don't even take the head off. We just brine it and smoke it all as one. You know, I've done that Jesse with uh, tula bees when I've, I've thrown them in the brine and, and with the tula bee, what, what I've done is taken the scales off. So scale it, but do yep. essentially just as you described, uh, take all of the, the, the organs and the you know, guts out of the, out of the cavity there and, and just leave the head right on, brine it and put it on the smoker um, when you're doing that, what what would be the proper technique? When you put that on the smoker, do you lay it on its side? Do you, do you kind of prop it up and open up that body cavity so the smoke can get inside? Or is there a is, is there really a difference? No, um, I guess I pretty much lay everything down. But one important thing, if anybody's thinking about doing this, when you take your fish out of brine, you want to make sure you get that fish really dry. Uh, there was one thing that I forgot to mention. And then I let my fish sit out for about an hour and I sometimes we'll put a fan on it if I have access to one. Otherwise I'll pat it dry again. Um, but I usually, um, the trout, I just lay on the side and same with, uh, um, you know, salmon flays, stuff like that. I just put skin side down. The smoke will penetrate it. Like I said, it's a pretty delicate meat. It'll go through the skin pretty well. So I haven't, I guess I haven't tried sanding it up, but I think I'm going to now. I, I just did it to, because of the, the space factor and, and, and I don't really sure. know why I, I, didn't do it because I was told to do it that way. I, I did it. Um, and it turned out, you know, which I think for a lot of us is, is sort of sometimes how we stumble across those things. But you mentioned that making sure that fish is dry. Why is that important before you start putting it on the, the cooking process? It'll kind of form a gelatinous, almost gluey membrane on the outside if it's not dry. And then on the inside too, it just really makes it unappetizing. It's not the best tasting thing either, but you could scrape it off and eat around it. But it's just important fact, just get it dried off. You won't have to worry about it, especially if somebody's never tried smoked fish before or you're serving this, you know, like I said, somebody that's never had it. That's just going to be something very unappetizing to them. Well, that's interesting. That's also really good to know. Um, so we're talking with Jesse Brunsvik here and uh, we're talking about grilling fish we're talking about smoking fish we've kind of covered a little bit on each of those um i want to go back to the the grilling aspect of it before we we dig any further into it, to smoking fish and you mentioned you know walleyes uh, a pike any of the the game fish that we are out there pursuing make good fare to, to to cook and prepare on a grill you talked about a marinade so what might be some examples of marinades or flavors that people might consider um, for that half an hour to an hour before they put it on the grill? You know, the, my marinade that I use when I'm grilling any kind of fish, um, it's really simple. It's olive oil, uh, some lemon zest, you know, just zest off some peel. I take a little bit of lemon juice, uh, fresh garlic, and then you could use, you know, any kind of herbs that you like. I, I kind of like rosemary with my grilled fish and then a little bit of salt and pepper. Uh, mix it together in a dish and I just fold it over. So each side is covered and then I just let it sit in the fridge um, for about 30 minutes to an hour, just depending. And I think a good point too, the the lemon zest is a great tip. You get that lemon flavor. I know a lot of people 
will tend to use lemon juice, but if you put that on your fish too early, I know that can actually change the texture of the fish. So I've, yep. I think some of us have probably found that out the hard way. You throw a little lemon on there and you don't get to it in time and you come back and you got some ceviche going, but yeah. Yep. No. Yeah. You don't want to put a lot in, um, and you don't want to put it on early, um, lemon juice because it will, it'll, the, the, what'll happen is it actually breaks down the muscle, muscle tissue and fibers. And you know, like we talked about earlier, fish is a very delicate fish to begin with. And you got to be careful on, on what you're doing or how you're doing it. Otherwise, yeah, you can have just a, a mess on your hands. But the other thing is then too, is while that's marinating, like I said, I like to use cedar planks. So you have that soaking in a bowl of cool water, or just put it in the sink. Um, for the same amount of time, basically, is what you have your marinade on, and then throw it on the grill over, I don't know, about medium heat or so. Like I said, about 300, 350 with the, the walleye or perch on there, and you're going to serve it right off the plank when you're done. So so that plank, I've heard of people using plank uh, a plank to cook their fish. I've, I've not done it myself. You buy that plank. Now, is that reusable or is that a one-time thing? Are you getting rid of it once you're done? I use a really thin one and I just toss them. They come in a multi-pack. You can get um, thicker ones. I've never used those personally. Uh, I think those are reusable. You can wash those up and then reuse them. I suppose it all depends on how much they flame up. I know I've used the cedar yep. plank a time or two and, you know, if they get a little too dried out or you got too much heat on there, I've, I've had some flame action. So oh, I would, sure. I would advise people if you're, if you're grilling on a cedar plank, make sure you got a little water standing by, or I've taken mine out. I usually just soak them in a nine by 13 pan and they tend to fit in there and then I'll just take it out. If it gets too hot, kind of redip it in the water and it makes sure that you, oh, sure. you don't end up flaming your fish out but uh, get that still that same taste from that cedar plank yep yep yeah you can definitely do that interesting so uh again it's you said about 350 degrees you marinate it for about a half an hour to an hour and uh, you're cooking it to what temperature jesse about 145 150 right there um i found if you get too much hotter than that it really starts to dry the fish out um that 145 when you pull it there it'll raise in temp a little bit um when it's resting um so yeah like i said 145 that's kind of the money spot that i found for pulling the fish nice so uh, obviously when we talk about smoking fish versus grilling uh, time consideration is a big part of it um, both in the marinade the preparation uh, versus the brine um, you know <laughs> 12 hours versus uh, 30 minutes to an hour. That's obviously a big difference there. And you're cooking at a much higher heat on the grill. Um, so prep time in terms of cooking is going to be much quicker. But with the, the smoking, you know, you soak it in the brine, you smoke it. Um, and w- was it the same temperature, Jesse, in terms of uh, where we're at on the smoker for the final, when it, when you pull it off? When you're, when you're getting close to the end of smoking? Correct. Um, I turned mine up a little bit uh, about that last hour to finish it off. Um, you know, every chunk of meat is, you know, it's just like barbecuing anything. Everything's going to be a little different when it comes to thickness or moisture content in the meat. Um, you know, if I'm starting to get pretty close to a good golden color on the meat and I'm just a little bit away from temperature, I'll crank it up to like 2 to 220, finish it off. And, and I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong here, but when you look at, where the origins of smoking fish came from, right? It was a preservative, a preserving method. You're, you're soaking it in brine, you're soaking it in salt, you're, you're infusing that meat, you're cooking it very slow with the smoke, you're, you're curing it, if you will, or cooking it with that smoke. And so it's going to keep a whole lot longer once you've cooked it. You don't necessarily need it to eat it immediately after smoking it. Is that, is that correct? Right. Um, and when you do smoke it, after you've smoked it, it'll sit in the fridge. Usually a good rule of thumb is about 10 days. Um, after the time you smoke it, after it goes through the brine and smoke, it'll last for about 10 days. Well, that's quite a long time, actually. And uh, can, can you freeze it after you're done smoking and, and keep it for an extended period of time? Yep. I, I vacuum seal all mine. So I don't just fire it up to do two trout or do one filet. I fire up my smoker. I've got a big rack system in it and I'll fill it and then, you know, get them all done. And I pull them off, let them cool in the fridge, sometimes overnight, pull them out, vacuum seal them and then freeze them. And I, you know, about six, seven months is the longest. It doesn't last that long. So <laughs> you, have, you know? well, 
as good as it is for it to last 10 days in the refrigerator is kind of a, a long shot. I know at least at my house it is, but you know, thinking of it in the freezer, if you, if you can extend that time when you get to enjoy it, that's probably a good thing too. I, I've heard, and tell me if this is accurate or not. I've heard that folks have said you, you take the fish off the smoker, you know, you, you let it cool down and should package it and let it sit like overnight for that flavor to kind of disseminate through the entire uh, chunk of meat and, and to kind of mellow that flavor out. Is that true? Yeah. And you know, it's the same thing, kind of the same concept when you're cooking cheese too. Um, if you can let it sit, if you're going to serve it cold, which I, I, that's how I prefer or room temperature, I guess, you know, with crackers, um, smoked fish, if you can let it sit in the fridge, vacuum sealed, let it get down. Like I said, let it cool first before you seal it. And then once you, um, vacuum seal let us sit in the fridge for a day or two and then just everything kind of mellows out you know it really calms down the smoke you won't have as much harsh flavor and it really just kind of elevates it to a new level it's good advice good advice and and sometimes it's hard to wait that long uh because you just yeah. want to <laughs> dive right in after you take it up or while it's still on the smoker but um jesse i know that uh, for the folks that are listening you work for Signature Landscape. Signature Landscape is a Green Mountain pellet grill dealer. So you do a lot on pellet grills. And I got to say, the ease and the, the simplicity of a pellet grill is amazing. They're a great tool for both grilling and for smoking. Is Oh, oh sorry, go ahead. I just wanted to I just want to hear your opinion because I know that's not the only method, but but what are some ways people people smoke or grill fish and, and what are the advantages? What do you mean? I'm sorry. No, no, that's fine. I just, just looking at, at, in terms of, um, can you use charcoal? Can you, can you use propane? Um, the pellet grill brings the wood into it and brings the smoke right into the process. But, but can you basically use whatever you have sitting on your patio? Oh yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And that goes for smoking as well. Um, good buddy of mine. Um, he actually, well, he has a, a green mountain grill now. I finally converted him to the ways, but he had a Weber gas grill. And he was wanting to smoke trout, but he just didn't want to buy a pellet grill yet. He wanted to wait until closer to summer. And I actually sell a thing called a smoke tube. So you fill that up with um, the wood pellets, light it on fire with a blowtorch or, you know, get it going, sand it upright. Once those pellets get going, you uh, blow it out, lean it over, and it slowly smokes. And that'll last for about three, four hours. And you actually put that right inside of your grill, your your propane yep. or whatever other grill fuel you're yep. using. And you can use that in a charcoal grill as well to get more smoke flavor. And then you just use an offset heat method. So you might have the farthest burner away from where your fish is at or whatever you're trying to smoke uh, as low as you can get it. So your temperature stays right at that 150 to 160 mark. Okay. So folks have options. That's good to know. Give us give us the lowdown on the pellet grills because I have one and I, and I use it all the time and I've smoked fish I've grilled fish. Um, thanks thanks a lot in part to to you and giving me some advice and guidance on it. But uh, what are the advantages of, use, of using that as a, as a tool for this kind of preparation? Well, the nice thing about it is is it, it takes so much of the guesswork out uh, of trying to smoke. Your charcoal smokers and your wood stick burners are awesome. Don't get me wrong, I smoke on both of them. But you're always adjusting. You're trying to make sure your temperature staying consistent. You're, you can get hot spots, you know, throughout the grill. With the pellet smoker, it's so easy. You just turn it on, you turn it to 150, and you hit start. And then you're at 150. It holds. You don't have to babysit it. It automatically adjusts the temperature. It, it, it just, it's a foolproof way, basically, of barbecuing. I can attest to that because if I can use it and I can come out with results like, like I have, um, and anybody who's listening to this podcast can do the same. Um, and, and I'll agree. It's very, very easy. What I like about it is I can sit downstairs in my family room or I can be out in my garage working on some of my other ice fishing gear and equipment and I can have the, the Wi-Fi on my phone. I can see what the temp is. I can see what the temp of the meat is. I can see what it all is. Uh, in real time. And, and it's like you said, you're, you're not babysitting it in, in person. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that Wi-Fi feature has been just amazing. I think this is our going on our eighth year of having that on our green mountain grills. And it's, I mean, the other nice thing about it is too, you can hook it to server mode and you can go to work. 
Um, you can monitor your grill from wherever you have service on your phone. So if you're, you know, if you're doing a, a long brisket smoke or pulled pork or you just need to run to the grocery store and want to watch what your fish is at, you can. That's pretty awesome. I'm going to need you to show me that one, Jesse. Okay. Uh, Cause that's going to open up a whole new door for me as well. So that's pretty <laughs> cool. But, but fishing, uh, grilling, smoking fish, there's a whole lot of options is what I'm hearing from you, uh, regardless of what tool you use and what options you have. Um, a, a lot of really good ways to, to bring that fish home and enjoy it and, uh, and, and really get the most out of that whole experience. Oh yeah. Yep. There, I mean, there's so many different ways and, and just like about anybody else, once you figure out what you really like, you kind of hone in on it and do that. Like my grandpa has a place up on the Missouri river and they fish for salmon every year and he makes a smoked salmon spread. It's absolutely amazing. I just haven't figured out how to make it yet. Boy, that sounds awful good. Well, when you do figure it out, I think you know where to share it. Uh, yep. yep. We, we would definitely want to hear about that. Hey, if folks have, that are listening to the podcast, they have questions, they're interested in knowing a little more, have some specific questions. Uh, how can they find you? Um, you know, honestly, one of the easiest ones is our Facebook page. It's Green Mountain Girls Fargo. Um, our website is signaturelandscapes.us. Um, either that or they can give us a call at 701-306-6386. Well, I appreciate it, Jesse. I know you've been a great resource for me over the last couple of years as I've learned more about cooking and preparing wild game and, and just about any kind of meat, actually, for that matter. And appreciate you taking some time today to talk grilling and smoking of fish. I hope our, our listeners here have been able to benefit from that information and can take that out and uh, try something new. So thanks, thanks much, Jesse. We appreciate it. Yep. Thanks for having me. Folks, stick around. We're going to take a really quick break and we'll be back with more Shack Talk right after this. Welcome back to our next segment in the Shack Talk podcast, and we're going to be diving into another great destination with some, you know, probably some gear and tips thrown in a little bit as well. You can't go somewhere without bringing a bunch of stuff with you. So. It's tough to keep those all severed, Anthony. Honestly, it really is because they all do run together. And so what we wanted to do is uh, highlight another cool destination, one of those trips that, you know, if you're looking for something different, maybe you're, you know, sick of going to the same place or looking for that next adventure. And, you know, this one's probably a little bit elevated for that adventure factor and, you know, being prepared and probably going to need a little bit more planning. But we're going to be talking to um, a guest, a friend of ours, uh, Randy Topper. He's with Hang Loose Outdoors, also a part of our Eskimo staff. And they do a trip up to Canada where they're winter camping and fishing lake trout. So I'd like to welcome Randy to the podcast. Uh, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks, guys. Happy to be here. So when we're talking about destinations, I know we were chatting a little bit before, but would you say that this is for the faint of heart? You know, we've uh, we've done it we're looking at i think we will be going on our sixth one here um this winter and i've done them I, I i i've dog sledded into basswood uh with conditions uh first morning 35 below one morning we went to ontario when we showed up in the morning it was just breaking 40 below you know so and we've also been you know as warm as 50 in march so you know, it all depends on, on what your, what your, uh, strength is, you know, we've done it in all conditions and, and you can get by with everything, you know, people kind of think we're crazy sometimes, but if you're geared up right and, and you're somewhat used to this stuff and know how to, to hit it head on, it's, you can make anything work. You know, Randy, I've, I've just found in my experiences and I have not done the trip that you are, are describing and talking about here today, but I really have found that you know, to, to your point, if you have the right gear, common sense and a little bit of forethought, you can tackle just about anything. hundred percent. Yeah. We have, uh, you know, we, we've done it super primitive. Uh, and then we've also done it, uh, a little bit technical too. You know, we've, we've been to the point where we bring a, we've always done wood stove, but we have brought a generator, you know, for charging graphs and stuff like that, you know, just a little four stroke generator, that makes things great, you know, for charging and things like that. And, uh, you know, like you're saying, you know, it, it, you can't be too prepared, 
but also we've packed in and sometimes you got to sit down and start eliminating some things of, of need versus want. That's a really great advice for anyone planning a trip and especially a, a destination trip like this is, you know, make sure that you go over that list a few times and pack the essentials and make sure you have what you need. You can always leave it in the car when you get there, but make sure that you have everything that you need. It's, it's hard on some of these remote destinations and, you know, always plan for the worst. You always got to have you know, two of anything that can break and make sure you got enough food in case you get stranded and all of that fun stuff. Um, any other little tips of advice for people that are maybe looking to plan a little trip like this, any essential gear, or, you know, maybe, uh, maybe talk a little bit about also how you go about finding some of these locations and kind of what that process is as well. I would say one of the the worst things that we planned for one time is we tried to go very primitive. We didn't bring, we brought just a bow saw and uh, a little, uh, I think it's called the um, Boundary Waters Edition uh, tent and this little tiny pack-in stove, you know, and we didn't really account for all the wind blowing to the shores and we were camping just off the shores. So, you know, we brought that little bow saw and figured we could do anything. Well, we started getting ready. And again, this was one of those 30 below trips. And we started trying to get to the wood. Uh, you know, you can't really cut down anything. So it's all dead laying, good dry stuff. But to get to it was about waist deep or better. So you're burning a ton of energy trying to get to that shoreline. And then the time it took for us to cut just enough wood to honestly survive that night was it, it was it was miserable so if you can bring a chainsaw and, and make sure and and kind of pay attention to how much snow is out there because if you're going hiking in to get your your wood have a pair of snowshoes you know it'll, it'll snowshoes and a good saw you know you can get by with a hand saw but i tell you what we won't go again without a chainsaw it just you, you burn more wood than you think and uh it it, it can really put a damper on the trip you know we're there ultimately to fish so everybody's chomping at the bit to fish and and uh everybody's kind of got a job you know I'll, I'll try not to ramble on too much but a good crew is huge you know where everybody kind of knows their role pick your guys you know you, you don't want the guys standing there twiddling on the thumbs that don't know what to do everybody's kind of got to have a a work ethic and and get to it because they're yeah I'm telling you, it's not the easiest thing in the world, but if everybody knows a job and breaks it up, it's not too bad. And I would have to imagine, Randy, that a lot of those jobs aren't necessarily giant tasks, but they all need to get done. A hundred percent. Yeah. From, you know, a lot of times, you know, we send two guys to get wood right away. You know, a lot of times we're running in fours, fishing in twos, uh, camping with four people. Two guys are getting wood right away to get that dialed in and the other two are shoveling the spot out for the tent and starting to set the tent up and you know we kind of keep the same guys doing the same thing same thing as breakdown you know you can all kind of help with breakdown because you don't have the wood task but getting the wood's probably the biggest task interesting that is that is interesting stuff randy you mentioned that your one trip you took a tent right um is that standard? You, you usually bring like camping tents along or do you ever just bring portable ice shacks or how do you, how do you look at that prospect of what your shelter is going to be? So our, we've done a tent every time so far until this year, Dylan and I are planning to do ice shack. We're just where it's going to be a short one, but uh, every other time we've brought a wall tent. Like I said, that, that boundary waters edition is just a real light pole tent. We've done that once, but now, uh, Dylan has a big horn and then uh, so it's been a wall tent every time with a wood stove and a real good point before I forget, which is a, is a great point. It's a little heavier, but we started out with those little tiny stoves with that small stove. Basically uh, a rundown of your night is sleep for an hour, get up, stoke the stove, sweat for an hour, sleep for an hour and then freeze and then get back up. So We've, we've upgraded our stove to a lot bigger where we can get a good coal base going. And uh, definitely we can get about a straight four to six hours of sleep, you know, good sleep because it'll hold that, that bed of coals. But them little stoves, you're stoking it nonstop, and it's basically just a, a boom flash of heat, and you're hotter than heck. And then, and then uh, 
it stays comfortable for about 45 minutes to an hour and then it's cold again. It sounds a lot like growing up, we had a, a big eight by 10 fish house with a wood stove in it. And it was that point you, you stoked it up and it was 95 degrees in there when you went to bed and then you woke up at two, three in the morning and it's about 45 in there. So anybody that slept out on the, slept with a wood stove on the, in the outdoors can attest to that. Uh, as you look at destinations, I know you guys have hit kind of the same area generally, um, but what do you kind of look for? Um, what's kind of the steps and the processes for somebody that's looking to, you know, whether that's the, the U.S. side, the Boundary Waters area, or getting up into Canada, Ontario, for, for finding locations to go to? So Canada is probably the biggest one that uh, should be talked about. Minnesota, there's really nobody... Uh, up and around the boundary waters, so it's not like you're going to struggle for a campsite up there. You, you do have to stay on the campsites, but uh, Canada, you know, I'm not super fluent with it because, like I said, we've kind of went to the same spot every time, which is uh, in Ontario, uh, Clearwater West Browns Resort, and Barry there always has our permits ready for us, so if you're a non-resident to Canada, to camp on crown line land you have to have a permit same goes with the parks it's just a little different permit um but like i said every time uh barry's had our stuff ready for us and it's like ten dollars a night if i remember right to camp uh, on crown land and you can camp anywhere on crown land and then when you get into the parks i believe you got to stick with the designated campsites and, and like i said i'm not 100 on that because you know we just get the lowdown from barry who's been there for 30, 40 years, and we just, uh, he kind of points us in the right direction. Um, but if you go online, I've done a little research um, recently on on permitting and everything. You can either get them at like an outfitter like that or just go online and you can apply for the permit. It sounds like a real short process. If you do it that way, you can pay with your credit card and then they just send you the permit. You print it out and have it on you. I think that's really great advice. And, and for anyone that's looking to go on those types of adventures, you know, make sure that you're doing your research online and, you know, reach out to those people that have done it and, and find those resources because that's what makes any trip, whether you're going remote and needing permits to camp or you're going to a new destination, a new lodge, a new resort, there's tons of information out there. And I think that, you know, the more homework you can put in, the just that much more prepared you can be when you're going for that as we kind of look yeah. at the at the fishing aspect, um, what are you guys mainly targeting up there? And, you know, break down a little bit on how that goes. I know you guys have spent a lot of time breaking down a, a body of water. Um, kind of what's that experience been like? So we first started lake trout fishing, and, and uh, it's it's pretty hard stepping right into a lake trout lake. So And primarily that's what we're chasing when we go up there. I would say 95% of the time we have done some pike trips. But uh, lake trout is kind of our target species now. But stepping into those lakes up there, you're kind of spoiled around here. You know, as a fisherman, we have all the mapping and all that stuff. And you go up there. This is my experience anyways. I get up there and I got this big plan. And all of a sudden you step on these big bodies of water and you can really start to spin fast. Because you have no idea where these underwater points run or, or uh, humps or anything like that. So a couple of ways we've done it is a lot of the lakes we're fishing are gin clear. So if you go on, uh, just go through different satellite imagery, you know, Google earth, we'll just use that type of thing. Or you can kind of see a lot of those humps that are just under the water. You know, sometimes you can see down 30 foot up there and then you can, what I do actually is, is go on and I'll drop a, get the lat long on there. And then I just take that waypoint and then enter it into a, a GPS. So there's that aspect of finding that mid-lake stuff. But also we've had good luck where we just start on a shoreline that looks good. You know, uh, just fisher's intuition on a shoreline that you think is going to work and we'll just hopscotch each other down the shore. And, and that could be really effective uh, as far as if you don't get that other homework done. You just go to a shore and if you got four guys, you line up maybe 50 to 100 yards apart. And then the last guy just jumps over to the other side if he's not catching anything and we'll just, you know, bounce over the top of each other down that shoreline until we get into some fish. I think that's great advice for, for any lake is, you know, look for those points of interest, those structure pieces, whether that's a point in the lake or a little island, you know, typically I look for an island and a point. And then, you know, as you've seen before, there's a saddle in between and there's, you know, 
transition areas for those fish to follow. And, you know, as a person that's traveled a lot and fished a lot of different body of water, like you said, there's just things that look fishy. And, you know, if you, if you don't take a minute and try and fish those, you, you might miss on something. And I'm sure you guys have kind of stumbled into some really great different pieces of structure and some great fishing up there as well. Yeah, that's one reason why we've kind of stuck with the same area. Um, you know, you just learn a little bit as far as that, that camping trip goes. Uh, we'll, we'll go there a lot to that same spot. I've been going there for about 15 years and you just learn something new every time. And, you know, we're getting, uh, to the point where we'll have a, a couple of the guys will go up in the boats, you know, and then throw on, uh, live mapping and get some of that stuff mapped out. And now, now you're talking some some real interesting stuff up there that we had no clue was there. And, and, uh, it sounds, you know, exciting news coming out. They're doing a lot more mapping in, in Canada. And I think we got a lot of, a lot of fun stuff coming up in the future as far as, you know, uh, being able to go up there and find some of these nice spots that we're used to with mapping. I think that's great. And, you know, kind of we, as we wrap things up a little bit here, you know, I think anybody looking for that next adventure, they're looking for that next, you know, kind of project or, you know, next piece to the puzzle and, you know, what makes them, you know, want to get out there and go after it. And I know myself, I, you know, I can't fish the same lake over and over, over the winter. I'm always looking for that next new lake or that next new destination. And I'm sure you're kind of the same way. We've been to a lot of those bigger bodies of water and it's fun to have a new project or a new, new plan, you know, planning out that destination. Um, what kind of, you know, if I can dig into your mind a little bit, you know, what's, what's the one thing you're kind of, I know you said it's a lot of work, but it also has to be really rewarding as well. Yeah, you, you got to kind of have that that uh, mindset. It's got to really interest you. It is a lot of work, but like I've told people a lot of times, you know, basswood, uh, that dog sled trip in and camping was was great. And this Ontario trip that we do, winter camping, they're they're right up there in the you know top five to top things that I've ever done in the outdoors. You know, and I've you know, that, that's right up there with hunting and going to Colorado and traveling around doing this and that and fishing a lot of different bodies of water. The camping thing is just, there's just something to it. You know, you're out there and, uh, the, you know, it, like I said, it's somewhat primitive, but sometimes we bring a generator and stuff like that, but it, it's just, I don't know how to explain it. You just kind of get a, a real satisfying feeling when you're cutting wood and, and making your own heat. And, you know, we usually eat a, eat a lake trout every time so you're kind of eating what you catch and we just have a ball doing it you know to me it seems like it's uh it's a combination really of testing your your personal limits right the, the challenging yourself can we do this can we be successful at it and and we watch you know let's be honest we're, we're watching on tv and you see all these survival type shows and a trip like you're describing is probably as close to those types of scenarios as, as most of us ever want to get. But yet it's still that challenge of being self-sufficient out there in the wild, being away from society, being away from kind of all of the things that, that we have here at home and, and doing it in a context of, of we're going to go fishing on this trip too. hundred percent. You know, we're, we're all, uh, we're still living in, in the Midwest and we're all, uh, a little bit crazy for going through some of the crazy uh, swings and weather and stuff like that. So we must enjoy it a little bit. And when you go out there and do these things, it really brings that out, you know, and you can get uh, the depression, the winter, midwinter depression, or you can go out there and enjoy and, and take it in why we live here. And, and the other thing is, you know, getting up into Canada and some of those wilderness areas, you're not seeing another person. You're not seeing, you know, any sign of life you're just out there in the wilderness and it's it's definitely cleansing and and uh you really take it in i think that's great for our listeners and if you're listening and you're interested in this topic and want to learn more about it there's a lot of resources out there available to you know search and do some information digging and trying to find more information and i'm sure um you know if you want to reach out to kyle or myself we'd be more than happy to point you in the right direction and and randy how can people get a hold of you if they have certain questions yeah can can certainly uh inbox our uh hang loose 
Facebook page or my personal page, it would be best. And, and any of our guys, if I'm not available, you know, any of our guys on the hang loose Facebook page, see that question come through and, and we're, uh, we're open book, definitely willing to help anybody who wants to go out there and face that challenge. Be more than happy to, uh, to give any information that we've done. Like I said, we have about, <clears throat> excuse me, about, this will be our sixth year, I believe of winter camping. So, uh, not, all the experience in the world, but we definitely got uh, enough to make it work. And, and we, we usually make it work for, you know, about usually four days we spend there. So, And I'm sure from that first trip to the, the sixth trip, the, the information that you guys have learned has probably been about tenfold. So, Yeah, that's one thing is the learning curve there. The, the amount you learn each time is, is tremendous. So, yeah, I, I, like I said, again, more than happy. Our Hang Loose Outdoors Facebook page, my personal page, you know, any of us will will try to do our best to steer you in the right direction. Well, Randy, thanks again for joining us. Um, if you're listening, make sure to stick around. we got another great segment coming up, and we'll be right back with some more Shack Talk podcast. Welcome back to Shack Talk. This is Kyle Agri and Anthony Kleinwalker. We are in our third and final segment of today's podcast. And for those of you who have been listening along all season, you know that this is the segment that we talk to a special guest and really find out about them, find out about their background, their experience, what they do, and, and why they are so passionate about the outdoors in general, and more specifically, ice fishing. We have Eric Osberg with us today. Eric is the Rural Rebound Initiative Coordinator in Ottertail County in central Minnesota, really in the heart of Lakes Country. He is the owner of the Outdoor Report. I know many of you have seen that. If you're, if you're at all active on social media, that is something that you have seen uh, almost undoubtedly. And just an all-around great guy, an ambassador for the outdoors, for the sport of fishing and the sport of, out, or of ice fishing. Eric, welcome to Shack Talk. Thanks for having me. So I just want to jump right in here, Eric. You're, you're busy. You're busy doing all sorts of things. And, uh, and, and I love hearing from you. I love getting your updates. Where did it all begin? Was this a childhood thing or did you come, come into it as an adult? Um, give us a little history there on Eric Osberg's uh, outdoor passion. I'll, I'll try to, I'll try to tell you the whole story within the allotted time. Um, it, it started, my ice fishing didn't start till I was a little bit older, but I grew up on a small lake near Upsala, Minnesota called Cedar Lake. And, um, it was a bass lake. And so my dad and I would go bass fishing. This was, you know, back in the day, we'd use frogs on a number five hook and we'd go catch the frogs. And, and from an early age, I, I just, you know, no pun intended, but I was hooked. And, and then, it, through my teen years, that's when we started to dabble in ice fishing, and ice fishing is nothing like it used to be, right? You know, from a gear standpoint. Oh, um, but not, you know, not we, even close. Not even close, right? But we, you know, we, you know, we had, you know, wood shacks, right? You know, four by eight. You'd start with a four by eight piece of plywood, and you'd build a shack around it and throw it out on a lake. And I, I don't know. I, I, I guess from an early age, it was just, it was just one of my, one of my ways to escape from it all, I guess. And in my college years, I kind of forgot about fishing. Like, like I got so busy with whatever happens in college. I, I think I, we can all, we all know what that's all about, right? I, when you get busy with the the whole adult, just, just being an adult on your own. I, I get that. Yeah. And, and I, I had a moment of clarity. I remember it vividly. I was like, something is missing. And then dawned on me, it was fishing. And so I, I borrowed a canoe. I went back to Cedar Lake. I caught some bass and I was like, that's what's been missing for the last however many years it was. And then ever since then, I've just, I've every opportunity or excuse I have to get out on the water or the ice. I, I try to make the most of it. You know, Eric, I know there's a couple of things that are really important to you in, in terms of the outdoors. One is your family. One is your career. Let's just look at your career first and uh, share with our listeners a little bit about your current job and maybe what has led up to that and, and, and how that ties in to the outdoors and to ice fishing. Well, I, I, have a, I have an easy sell. It's my job right now to get people to live and work in Ottertail County. And I think it's, 
and I've sold stocks, I've sold bonds, I've sold life insurance, I've sold things door to door, I've sold a lot of things in my life. And getting people to to consider living in Ottertail County is fairly easy, especially if they like the outdoors, whether it's hunting or fishing or hiking or biking or just the outdoor lifestyle in general. And so, yeah, it was through a series of events, and I, I, my before I came to this job, I was I ran my own video production company, and I I had a TV show, fishing show that was my lifelong dream. We did that, and then through and so Ottertail County was a sponsor of that show, and so when I decided to pull the plug on the show, it, it, they were one of the people that I called and said, "Hey, I'm looking for a job. I'm not looking for a project. I'm not looking for work. I'm looking for a job." And my current boss, Nick Leonard, said, "Well, we have this opening at the county." to try to help promote the county as a place to live and work. And I, I really think my video background is what got me the job because now we're able to produce a lot of in-house video that, that can otherwise be very, very costly. So it's, it's pretty efficient. And it's, uh, I, I don't get to go fishing every day of my job, but there are some times where it's part of my I have taken a prospective doctor, his wife and their daughter, right? They were going to maybe move here to be a doctor and and I was asked to take them fishing, and so I did. And it's it's a hard job, but somebody's got to do it. Somebody has got to do it. And you know, we've got yep. listeners to Shack Talk all across North America. You know, all across the the main ice fishing regions, but but even scattered throughout other parts of the country and and Canada as well. Ottertail County, you're right. That can't be a difficult sell. Give folks a little bit of the the statistical overview. 10,000 foot view of Ottertail County and what it has to offer. What are, what are you selling? Well, number one, we have 1,048 lakes. And to put that in perspective, if you fished, if you, you can't fish them all, they're not all fishable, but if you visited a new lake once a week, it would take you 20 years to see them all, right? Like Willie and I, Willie and I, just the other night, we were driving back from somewhere or to somewhere. We we're trying to count how many lakes in Ottertail County we fished. And we we fish a lot, and the list is still only 27 long. We still have a thousand and twenty-one lakes to go, and so it, it, if you have any desire to be close, near, or on water or ice, we have more counties than any other county in the entire U, continental U.S. Right? There's there's more lakes in Ontario County than any other county within the union. That is, um, that's just plain amazing. It's amazing, right? And it, 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 it's, 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 it can be overwhelming at times. Like, where do I start? Um, and, and the advice is just pick one and, and check them off from there. But yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a big county role, you know, and, and it's a diverse county from a topographical standpoint. There's prairies, there's woodlands, there's rolling hills. And it's not like we're a city with a bunch of stuff around us. We are lakes with some communities in between it, it's it's really a unique situation i think it's just like your fishing story you know you were hooked on fishing i mean anybody that's been in the otter tail area i can attest to that it's a beautiful place and you get hooked on the area whether that's in the winter ice fishing or in the summer enjoying the lakes area i can attest to that it's it's a great place to visit and the fishing ain't half bad either i, I would argue i, I I would argue there's, if you're into panfish, bluegills or crappies, I would argue we're world-class. I, we, we had a group of gals up here a couple of years ago. Uh, and, and, and the quote I remember was, she said, I thought we had to go to Canada to catch crappies like this. And we were like, Nope, just gotta go to Ottertail County. Right here. And so Ottertail County, for those folks who may not be familiar again, West central Minnesota, uh, towns of Fergus Falls, uh, it's east of Fargo-Moorhead by about, what, an hour, hour and five minutes? It depends on which part of the county. It might be as close as 45 minutes if you're talking like the Pelican Rapids area. Certainly, right. I didn't even yeah. think about that. But uh, yeah. And, and multi-species fishery, right? You mentioned panfish, but walleye, muskie, you name it, they're all there. They're all there. And it's, it, it, and yeah, you can't sleep on the walleye fishing. It's you know, Ottertail Lake is a 13,000 acre lake it, and it connects not, not navigable, but it, but it, it, you know, through water systems, it connects to star and it, and which connects to dead, 
And between those three lakes, between those three, you've got 25,000 acres of water. And there's, here's something kind of crazy, but sturgeon, right? Like you, there's a catch and release sturgeon inland Minnesota and you can't do it during the winter months, but um, Willie and I have gone and targeted sturgeon and we've caught them. So from a multi-species standpoint, you're right. Uh, walleyes, bass, largemouth bass. There's some of the biggest largemouth bass that I've ever come across in Ottertail County. Uh, crappies, bluegills, sturgeon, uh, pike, uh, you name it. It's, it's, it swims in one of those 1,048 lakes. Well, I tell you what, we, we weren't here to do a commercial for Ottertail County, but it's kind of <laughs> cool to hear it because... What, what really is, is neat, Eric, is the fact that you are so passionate about it. It is your job, but yet it's like, you know, you couldn't have handpicked a job better because uh, obviously you, you put yourself into what you're doing and, and really are making that part of, of kind of what your mission is in life too. Yeah. And, and you know, what, one of my sayings or one of the things I, I try to throw out there is, it's not about having time. It's about making time. And what I mean by that is, you know, you, you call a buddy and say, Hey, let's go fishing. And, and, and if they're busy, like we all are, their, their response is usually, I don't have time. Right. We don't have time. I don't have, well, we should do this. Well, I, I don't have time. I don't have, I mean, how many times have somebody told you I don't have time? And so what I talk about is prioritizing, right? Like, what in different things are important to different people, right? But for me, that time on the water or on the ice, that's what's important. That's what feeds my soul. That's what that's where I get to tune everything. I don't look at my phone, I don't listen to my phone, I don't watch TV, I watch a flasher if that's what I'm doing. And and I can just zone out and it's in my attention and I I'm scattered in a different million directions when I'm not fishing, but when I'm fishing, for some reason, my brain can hone in on the task at hand and at least until it's time to leave. And, and so, yeah, I, I really try to encourage people. And it's, I mean, physiologically, it's good for you, right? Like vitamin D and sunshine and, and it, all that fresh air, right? Like we live these lives in these cubicles or staring at a device and if it's a flasher, that's okay. Right. But, but we make an exception. Yeah. Right. But we've created all these distractions. And when you think about it, you know, from a hunter and gatherer evolutionary standpoint, we were put on this earth to be outside. And so whether you're again, hunting, fishing, biking, hiking, I don't care. Just if you're not making time to, to be outside. And so if you live in this area, you better like ice fishing because you're, it's going to be ice six months, you know, half of the year, the lakes are covered with ice. So yeah, it's, uh, it, it's good for my soul. And, and I, you know, I, I hope it's good for others too. And I've made that point a couple of times this season. It's to your point, it's my therapy. That's where I find, you know, my time to decompress and get out there. And, and as somebody that's followed you on, on social media and stuff, I'm envious. And like you said, you make time. It's the going out fishing after work for an hour, hour and a half. And I know it's taking your son out and you're trolling crankbaits under the moonlight at night. And it's, you know, you just got to take those opportunities. Maybe it's only an hour or two and maybe you don't even catch a fish. I'm sure you guys have been out and had those experiences, but it's just about getting out. So getting outside and enjoying it. We, we, if I had a penny for every time we've hit the water as the sun was hitting the trees, right? Like we got to go, right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's a Tuesday night and it's not windy and it's not raining. So so rather than planning a big, huge trip that we look forward to all year long, we just take these micro adventures and, and they're easier to fit into the schedule, right? You, they're, they're not on the calendar. The calendar, you know, Mother Nature presents an opportunity. Wow, it's a gorgeous evening. Uh, we don't have anything else to do. Let's go fishing. Just to your point, let's go. It could, might be two hours. We might not catch a thing, but that's better than not. So. You're a little lucky that's only probably about a five minute drive to that body of water. But. And then there's that's that, then it comes full circle, right? That's why I live where I live because I'm literally from my back door. I can be at the access on Ottertail Lake in 27 minutes. And, and, and I, and I don't live in Ottertail, right? And, and, 
And if you live in the central part of Ottertail County, I mean, you, you pick a pick a lake different. You know, there's you drive by seven lakes when you're going to your lake. So no, it, it, when there's this much opportunity around, it's it's easier to make it happen. Okay, Eric, talk just a little bit. You've mentioned Willie a couple of different times. Willie's your son. I know you do a ton of fishing and a ton of outdoor experiences, the two of you, or you do it as a family. Tell us what, what that is and, and how important that is in your life. I, I, I got really lucky. I, it's, I mean, to, to be able to share a passion with somebody, whether it's your spouse or your child or a friend, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's kind of indescribable, but it, he, he got the bug early too. And, and I, I try really hard not to push him. Like, I don't, I don't want it to become a burden or anything that he doesn't want to do. And so I try to, he's always got an opt out clause if he wants it. But more often than not, when I say, do you want to go? He's like, yep. And you know, we get up at four in the morning sometimes, or we go out super late sometimes. He doesn't, and it, the thing that I have noticed is, I mean, between me and you and the listeners, he, he athletically, he wasn't gifted, whether it's baseball or basketball or something like that. He, he's got, you know, he's a good work, work ethic and all that stuff, but he's turning into a really good stick. Like I watch him set the hook on a fish and I, it's like watching a kid hit a home run. And, and so whatever I can do to feed that, plus it, you know, all the things that it does for me physiologically, I hope it does for him as well. Plus with ice fishing, ice fishing isn't easy. There's a little bit of work involved, right? You might have to walk 600 yards dragging some gear for a month. It's good to have a sidekick, right? It's good to have a sidekick, right? Like we're at a point now where I can punch the holes in the, in the, in the fish house. And I'll say, all right, you start cleaning those holes and I'll go do the next thing on the to-do list. Right. He's a, he's a, he's a first mate. He can help. And, and it, it he's learning that it, 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 there is no instant gratification, right? Like it, there's, you got to put in some work to get the results. And, um, and so, yeah. So in, until he says, dad, I'm done every, you know, again, I don't get to, I don't, I don't need, need to use the word get to, but I don't plan big, extravagant trips because we take what we can get and 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 if you know if i can have him drag a drag a sled for 400 yards you know i'll drag the i'll do i do the heavy lifting don't get me wrong but uh if he can get a little extra and then you know get up gets outside gets a little exercise gets away from the tv there or the, or the device that is normally in his hand i think it's it, like what i'll ask the wife i'll be like is it okay if I take Willie fish in the day? And she'd be like, absolutely. Get him out of the house. And so um, that's, it works works for everybody. That's really cool. And I've had the privilege of being able to fish with you, Eric, and with Willie. He's a great <laughs> kid. And I'll tell you what, the apple didn't fall far from the tree because, <laughs> uh, it, you know, he is extremely passionate and enthusiastic about ice fishing and about the outdoors. And and I just know, I mean, you you told us, some stories when we started off here about your dad taking you out and what you would do. Yep. And, and he's going to carry these stories from today and, and yesterday and last month into his, his entire life. And, and that's really what it's about. I, I sit here and Anthony and I are, are kind of in the same mindset. I know, I know it matches up really well with yours that that's a big part of why we do what we do. Yeah. And it's, it's a lifelong sport, right? And, 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 or, or hobby or whatever you want to call it, right? Whether, whether competitive fishing is in the future or not, I have no idea, but he can be 47 years old and, and he's got something that, you know, he's hopefully learning at a young age where he can hone his skills and he can become better tomorrow than he was today. And, 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 and that'll carry him hopefully for the rest of life. Not to mention the fact that there's so many incredible life lessons you are passing on through those outdoor experiences, that work ethic, the, the teamwork, all those things. I mean, that's, that is so important as we pass on, not just our outdoor heritage, but all of our values and our heritage with our kids. Well, and, and I don't, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but life has a certain suck factor to it, right? There's times, there's going to be times in your life where there's a, there's a pretty high suck factor, right? It's going to be sure rain. Is. That's or it's right. going to be cold or it's going to be windy or it's going to be whatever. Right. It's not all, it's not all duckies and bunnies, so to speak. And so, you know, teaching kids, I'm, I'm not saying other people or anything like that, but 
there's a lot of softness going around, right? <laughs> yes, there is. I get which exactly what you, you mean. You get what I'm saying? There's a lot of softness. And anytime I can say, suck it up, grit it out, grind it out, whatever. And, and, and that is that there's, there's, there's a lesson to be learned there, I think. And, and, and I, I don't ever put them in positions where anybody's in danger or anything like that, but, but it, it's okay to have a little suck factor now and then and, and, and suck it up and, and get through it. And, and if it, there's a reward at the end, great. And if not, hopefully the, the stepping up itness of it will make you feel proud of yourself that you didn't give in, that you didn't cave to the elements that you rose above it. And I know that's a, I'm making fishing maybe seem more important than it really is, but there's times where it's pretty easy to say we're going in as opposed to think nope, anybody, that's it a, out. anybody that's a parent knows, you know, you kind of learn how much you can push your kids and, you know, the older they get, you can push them a little bit more mm-hmm. and you kind of got to make them, you know, you're, you're toughening them up. You're, you're building their, their skin for when they get a little bit older and making sure that they know how to deal with adversity and, you know, there's, if they don't go through those things, I think fishing or hunting, spending time in the outdoors, all of those things make you learn. And I, I'm really gl- grateful to all the people that have influenced me in my life and being able to, to get out and deal with adversity. Because like you said, there's a certain point in your life where, you know, if you hadn't dealt with that adversity, um, you know, it gets a little tough at times, but then that's when you get back out on the lake and then enjoy a day out fishing and kind of maybe forget about those things. And and I don't know if the listeners can appreciate this or not, but like one of the things I, when I see a lot of parents with their kids out on the ice, that the kids are making snowmen or making snow angels or sliding around on the ice. And, and from a pretty early age, I said, Willie, the best way to, to, <laughs> the best way to, to uh, stay warm is to not get cold. Okay. If you're out here, in the elements and you're going to be making snow angels and you're going to be playing in the snow, it's going to take about 17 minutes before you come to me and say you're cold. Right. Yep. So, so the best way to stay warm is to not get cold. Don't be sliding around on the, I mean, let kids be kids. I'm not, I'm not, don't, you know, of course, but, but that's a life lesson, right? Like, like the other life lesson is it's better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. Should we bring this with? Well, it's better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. You know, so we have been able to, you know, and my wife gets mad because Willie will repeat these phraseologies back to her sometimes. And she's like, oh, gosh, she's just like you. And I'm like, well, I'm right. So <laughs> that's of course, okay. the best way to stay warm is to not get cold. I love if, it. If that's all he learns the rest of his fishing career, I'll be okay with that. So. You know, Eric, there's uh, just as we, we get kind of wrapping up here, there's maybe one or two people out there that have not seen you on social media. Tell mm-hmm. our listeners where they can find you and where they can follow you, because I, I highly recommend doing that. Well, we're we're on the Facebook, and it's The Outdoor Report is on the Facebook. I personally am on Twitter, and that's at Osberg, Eric with a K. Uh, we're on Instagram, The Outdoor Report. Um, and we're on YouTube as well. And so if you type in the outdoor, you know, if you type in the word the or the, and then outdoor report in any, any of the social medias, you should be able to follow us. So, that so is, that's, that's where you can find us. That's fantastic. And, uh, I, I, I'm not wanting to be too presumptuous, Eric, but I, I think I can throw the invite out there to any of our listeners. If they're thinking about planning a trip to Ottertail County or, or Hey, even moving there, right? Um, right. You're, you're the guy, and you'd be willing to point them in the right direction. And uh, I, w- I would say that they can reach out to you via social media, and, and I know you're a quick response. Yeah, it, 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 and even if they have, if you know, the other thing is if, if you have kids and you haven't, and maybe you're new to the outdoors or maybe you're new to ice fishing or you have questions about how do I, what do I, you know, reach out to me. And if, 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 if I can, I'll do my best to make time to respond. But it, you know, the future of this, that's the future of the sport, right? And if, right. if, if we're not passing it on and teaching them the, the do's and the don'ts and the right ways, it, it won't get passed on. So, so yeah, if anybody has any questions, especially about getting kids involved, I'd be happy to field them. Hey, and just, uh, Eric, a really quick plug, cause I know we're talking ice fishing here, but, uh, 
For those folks who are outdoor enthusiasts around the region, specifically those who live in Minnesota, you are a big integral part of the 2020 Minnesota Governor's Fishing Opener Celebration, which is going to be in Ottertail County. And uh, tell folks where they can get information on that if they're interested in becoming a, a volunteer guide or a host and uh, or, or perhaps visiting and participating in that event. You can go to mngfo2020.com. Uh, yeah, I'm the chair of the event, and uh, it'll be a it'll be a good time, good celebration, and a and a great way for us to to try to show off. I don't know if we can get somebody to all 1,048 lakes, but we're gonna do our best to to highlight the opportunity. So it's mngfo2020.com, and uh, uh, yeah, if, if you have any questions, again, you can reach out to me via social media on that as well. Let's hope for a year like 2013. I know some people may not remember that year, but I tell you what, in 2013, well, you might not 100% agree with this, but in 2013, we had ice right up until the day before the Minnesota governor's opener. Yeah. And how do you beat it, right? Ice fishing right up to the bitter end. Then we jump in a boat and go fishing for the opener. Yeah, I'll take the alternative. If I get a choice, I'd rather have open water April 1st, just so that'd be one less thing I have to worry about. Okay, all right. Well, we'll... Uh, We'll We'll make it work either way, but that's right. That's right. Eric, thanks for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me on folks. uh, We really appreciate uh, speaking for Anthony Kleinwalker, myself, Kyle Agri, hosts of Shack Talk podcast. We appreciate you tuning in. We appreciate you listening to this episode. We've got, we've got more content going yet this season. This is not the end of it. We've got more. So, so continue to stay tuned, continue to listen in and, uh, Continue to reach out and send us your suggestions on topics and guests to bring on the podcast. We love it. We take that to heart. We take that into very serious consideration. If we don't get it in this year, we're going to do it next year again, and, and we'll, we'll get those people on at that point in time. So until then, get out and get Eskimo. <laughs>